meeting is being recorded. Okay, thank you for that. Hello and welcome to the Warning Track Power Podcast, a show bringing you all things MLB related, including recaps, predictions, and good fun baseball talk. We're your hosts. I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And Chris, we have a lot to get to from the past week in the MLB. Uh, what what caught your eye from just kind of the league in general? What's some things you wanted to cover? Yeah, so I think we've got a good bit to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, the base running madness that happened in that Cubs-Pirates game uh, last week. Just kind of took the whole sports world, sports world by storm just in how bizarre it was. And I kind of have some interesting thoughts about how that all played out because a lot of credit's being put in certain places where I'm not so sure it entirely belongs for that kerfuffle, let's say. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, we're going to talk about the White Sox and the Cardinals. Those are our two main teams that, that we pay attention to. Um, you know, we're at the, basically, we were at the quarter mark of the season. Now we're basically approaching the third mark, one third mark of the season. So it seems like a good point uh, for us to take a stop, uh, to, uh, take a, a second and evaluate where things stand. So we're going to go through um, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year at this point in the season, who each of us would award it to. And uh, I think we tried to, we had some that, some agreement on that, but I also tried to mix it up. I think we'll have some little bit of a discussion debate with some of those names. So uh, yeah, I think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to that. So one of the first things uh, looking at this uh, kind of this week in baseball, something that caught my eye right away is uh, two, two particular outfielders on the, the Cincinnati Reds. You know, the Reds are fourth place in the National League Central, four games under 500. They're not a team that really a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to, but I think uh, pointing out Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker, um, two guys that are one and two in uh, batting average, leading the league, and they're both hitting for a ton of power, 25 combined home runs, 60 combined uh, RBIs, and they're keeping that team afloat. Will they make the playoffs? Probably not, but I think those two guys deserve a lot of credit uh, for keeping the Reds kind of in the conversation, even if they're kind of on the outskirts of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's been an incredible season for both those outfielders who, you know, I looked about a week or so ago, they looked like ha they had almost identical um, stats, main stats for the season. Uh, you mentioned um, one and two in batting average in, in the National League, in baseball, all of baseball, right? Entering uh, play today, uh, they're number one and three in OPS in the National League. So not only are they hitting for each of them, hitting for a great batting average, they're combining that with legitimate pop. Uh, and it's sort of an interesting story when it comes to Castellanos. Uh, he's been a player who's had some really impressive seasons, though he hasn't made any all-star teams, which did surprise me. And he's been a player who, for so many years playing in Detroit, uh, he wasn't the big homer player that people thought he could be. Of course, the outfield is much bigger there than he heads to Cincinnati last year. And people expected, you know, playing in, in that small ballpark that he would really break out. It didn't really happen last year. He ended up hitting 225 but this year he really is putting it all together it's been really impressive what he's been able to do and for Jesse Winker um, a player who had been pegged I saw by a lot of people as a potential breakout for a couple years now and it just never really came together he showed it in spurts but not 
for extended stretches and he really is putting it together right now um you know these two guys combined like you said really keeping the reds afloat because it hasn't been pretty for this team overall uh, there's still a lot of areas of, of struggle for them their pitching has been pretty poor their overall era is 4.8 4.83 this season luis castillo has been a disaster so those two guys like you said really doing a great job keeping them afloat i don't even know how where they'd be uh, they're fourth in the division so you know they would you can't really be much worse because they're not going to be the pirates uh that bad yeah. but it's hard to you know imagine how bad they could be if they didn't have those two guys going yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll be fun to see, you know, if one or both can make an all-star team, Castellanos would be for the first time. And I think Winker for the first time as well. And Winker is kind of one of those guys that broke out a little bit last year and uh, started hitting for some power and really showed the baseball world what he was all about. And now both those guys really hitting uh, hitting their strides at the same time. So it's it's been fun to keep track of and fun to watch. Um, another thing that caught my eye actually is um, not with the MLB, um, but a high school pitcher um, who is in the top uh, 50. Uh, he's number 51 on the top 200 uh, draft prospects list. Frank Mazzucato just tossed his fourth consecutive no-hitter for East Catholic High School in Connecticut uh, last week, Monday, uh, which I just thought was insane. Uh, he threw 19 strikeouts. Um, he's got 101 this season, over 42 innings, and I mean, four no hitters in a row. I don't care what your what level you're at is absolutely incredible. Yeah, you talk about uh, and we haven't really talked about it here on the podcast, of course, because we're just getting started. But you talk about no hitters being a, a thing that's really growing in the major leagues. I mean, talk about talk about no hitters four straight. That's incredible, and it's been an incredible rise for him. Um, not a player who I really knew much about heading into this baseball season. And a lot of people wouldn't have, he wasn't, he was unranked in some top 150 draft prospects lists heading into this amateur season. So he wasn't someone heading into this year that a lot of people had pegged prospect experts had pegged as a potential really high draft pick. And like you said, now he's in the top 50 on some lists. Uh, he's committed to UConn. He's got a curveball that's great. He works in the 90s with his fastball consistently. Um, I'm really curious, and I, I know people have mentioned this, I'm, you know, is he actually going to get to UConn or is he going to end up, you know, heading straight to the majors? Pod, Padres GM, AJ Preller, I know is one who's reportedly seen him pitch. And I saw a report or a, a prospect expert for the athletic the other day saying that they could see him uh, into the first round at this point, being a first round draft pick. And, you know, the way he's pitching right now, who knows how high his stock could rise at this point. Um, you mentioned the 101 strikeouts in 42 innings. He's walked 15 batters and he's only given up one earned run all season. I think like two or three runs total, one earned run all season. Over 42 innings. It, it's just wild, Great, just incredible. Yeah. It's something I'm really, you know, a lot of times it, it takes something really incredible at the amateur level to sort of incredible performance or stretch of performances to really get the attention of MLB, you know, news reporters and MLB headlines. And so this is one that really does. And I'm really going to be interested now to actually follow up and see how he finishes out the rest of the season. Definitely. And this may have changed since this was uh, a story last Tuesday. Uh, May 25th, but the last time at that point that he uh, had given up a hit 
was April 26th. That's so when a full at least a full over, month. Over. <laughs> That's insane. Without uh, surrendering a hit, and that was uh, another shutout. So gives up hits, no runs, like you said, one earned run over uh, the whole season so far. So definitely keep an eye on Frank Mazzucato for the rest of the year, and as we head into uh, the time for the MLB draft, which is coming up here in just uh, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So now, are you ready to talk about the one of the big topics of just amazement and confusion and just chaos of the week Absolutely. from that Cubs pirate, pirates base running? Yeah, let's get into situation. it. Let's give us a recap, Chris. What what exactly happened for people that uh, somehow didn't see uh, what happened in this uh, with this particular play? Yeah, so you know when I first watched the play. I did not notice how many outs there were. I just was sort of, you know, the hit the play button. People are talking about it on Twitter. I hit the play button. You see the Cubs have a runner at second base, Wilson Contreras, and they have Javier Baez at the plate. And there were two outs at the time. Uh, and Baez grounds it to the third baseman who makes the play, routine play, throws it over to first, and the throw is just a little bit up the line. And so the first baseman for the Pirates, his name is Will Craig, He's not a experienced major leaguer. It's not a name. I don't even think he'd been in the majors very long this season when that play happened. Um, so he, he has to come off the bag to get the throw. I don't even know if he had to come off the bag. You know, maybe he could have stretched, but you're at the point where, you know, make sure you catch the ball. So he comes off the bag, catches the ball, and Baez is coming down the line toward him. And instead of going back to the first base bag and just tagging the bag because there are two outs, he decides, okay, I'll just tag Bias because he's coming right to me. And Javier Bias decides, I'm going to turn around and start running back to, to home, toward home plate. And so now they're just running back toward home plate. Meanwhile, Contreras is coming around from third. He comes around, he dives into home plate or slides into home plate. Meanwhile, the throw comes home, you know, comes home from like five feet, you know, because at this point, the first baseman is chased, chased Bias all the way toward home. Throw comes home, safe at the plate. Baez is standing there calling Contreras safe and then realizes, oh, I have to run to first base. Runs to first base. Because the run doesn't count. Because the run doesn't count if if he gets out at first. He decides he's going to, I mean, obviously it's a confusing play, but he's calling him safe, like signaling safe. Oh, oh, I got to run. So if the Pirates, I think it was maybe second baseman or shortstop had gotten to first base to cover the bag properly, you know, had backed up because it was, of course, players are moving around at that point. Um, then the throw down the first would have easily would have gotten Baez as a force out, and that run wouldn't have counted. But anyway, there's a race to the bag, the throw gets away, Baez ends up on second base, and the madness of that play is finally over. Um, what did you think when you were watching that play, Jake? I was kind of with you. I didn't I, I watched the play and I thought it was it was wild. And then I realized there were two outs. Right. And all that Craig had to do was step on first base, but no, he did not do that. And even like thinking about it now, he wasn't, he, at no point did he ever look like he was trying that hard to actually catch Baez to tag him. He was kind of just jogging at the same speed as Baez was back torn home plate, kind of half-heartedly flips the ball to his catcher to try and tag Contreras. Mm-hmm. And there, it, I, it was just, seemingly a low effort play on will craig's part um 
And I don't know how much credit Baez deserves here. And I think you have some thoughts on that. I do as well. But what are your thoughts on uh, where the credit's being uh, placed and where the blame's being placed here? Yeah, I mean, I, I give some credit to Baez. You know, I, I certainly give him some credit. You know, he's been framed. I saw some, you know, like national reporters saying, you know, oh, maybe he was just, this was just a genius base running play from Baez. And I'm kind of like, hold the phone. Like it's, I give him credit, but not that much credit, right? right. If Baez doesn't turn around and decide, you know, he's not going to just walk right into Craig, basically, he, you know, that he is going to turn around and try to make this interesting. I give him credit for, you know, not giving up on the play. You know, he does try, like, there's something to be said for not for continuing to put effort into the play to potentially for, put your opponent in a position to make a mistake. Like, Bias could have just walked up to Craig and basically walked into him, and then that would have been the inning. So Absolutely. I do give him some credit for doing something that made it so that there was an opportunity for the Pirates to mess up, which then they did. But you know, it wasn't like some incredible feat of genius. And you combine that with the fact that like we just talked about, Baez is standing at, you know, near like three feet from home plate, calling Contreras safe at the plate. Well, he clearly doesn't realize, and I'm not saying that he's, you know, you know, horrible. Like it's easy to get caught up in the moment. I'm not saying that he made a critical, like this, the worst mistake in the world, Mm -hmm. but you can't really call him a genius when he's clearly not realizing that if he doesn't get to first base safely, that run doesn't mean anything. Right, right. Exactly. He clearly didn't realize that in the moment. Otherwise, he would have been running to first base because mm-hmm. he's wasting seconds just standing there waving him safe. Um, and then, of course, yeah, I do, you know, so I, I give some credit to Baez, but I give most of the credit in a negative way to the Pirates. To Will Craig, who has, you know, owned up to this, I, you know, it shouldn't be a defining thing for him. Obviously, things happen. Right. I also right. give some criticism to his teammates, too, because, you know, Derek Shelton, the Pirates manager, said he took responsibility for it. He -hmm. said, that's on me, which like, I mean, I guess that's what the manager does, you know, in that situation, but I don't really blame Derek Shelton. I mean, this is a player who won a gold glove and Craig won a gold glove in the minor leagues in 2019. So he's clearly a good player, good defender. Like it's just sort of a brain fart situation. Mm -hmm. But I, as I was saying before, where I got sidetracked, I, I give some criticism to Craig's teammates for not mm. like, there's so much time when the catcher could have yelled out the second baseman, the pitcher, somebody right. could have yelled out to step on first to end this situation. And that didn't right. really end up happening. Uh, I saw that in some post game. Oh, uh, Tyler Anderson, the pitcher for the Pirates admitted no one tried to help Craig out by yelling, go to first or anything of the sort. So right. anyway, there's a lot of different factors involved here. Craig messed up, not the end of the world. His teammates messed up by not helping him out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Baez kept the play alive, but also messed up too. And the end result is just a very fun, chaotic play. Yeah. And I think it uh, definitely made its rounds on social media. So uh, if you haven't seen the play, definitely go check it out and watch the uh, yeah. the absolute debacle um, of defense that the 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates put on on, on Thursday because it was something to watch. That's for <laughs> it sure. certainly was. Yeah, it was kind of the Pirates in a nutshell, honestly. I mean, it's it's harsh to say, but it was the, it was fitting that that happened to the Pirates, I will right. say that. One of, the, one of the worst teams in baseball, and uh, I don't know if they're going to be uh, making any noise anytime soon other than <laughs> in the basement of the NL Central for the next few years. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So I think we'll move on now. Uh, the last thing in terms of news across the league, um, 
just injuries, man. We have had so many injuries to big stars uh, over the first couple of months of the season. Um, but I think the one thing uh, on our list here, we have Marcelo Zuna. Yes, he's uh, obviously injured, um, but he has now been arrested and will miss seemingly uh, even more time than uh, he was originally planned with his, uh, with his finger, fingers injury. Um, so Chris, when you one saw the uh, injury news for Ozuna and then saw the, uh, the legal trouble that he was in, uh, what were your kind of reactions to both of those uh, breaking stories that happened, I think on back-to-back days? Yeah, it was pretty close together. I mean, the first thing was the injury. And at that point, I had just, you know, made a note of, of the injury as sort of one of the latest of a series of, of big name players who've gotten injured this season. And we always see a lot of injuries. But, you know, at the time, my thinking was just sort of tying that into the idea of, you know, keeping in mind that maybe some of this injury, um, this high amount of injuries this season could have something to do with the 2020 season being so short you know, players didn't, especially when it comes to pitchers, you know, who threw so few innings and then now they're trying to, you know, who like the league leader threw like 60 innings last year. Well, now players are already at 60 innings. And like the fact that they didn't play a full season last year, factoring into the amount of injuries that we've seen this year. Now, Marcelo Zuna's injury to be clear is finger injury uh, where he fractured two fingers. That was a freak accident sort of situation. He ran into Javier by, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rafael Devers cleats, but there's just been a lot of players from, Mike Trout, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Zach Plezak fractured his right thumb aggressively taking off a shirt after his start that. against the Twins. Uh, you know, you've had George Springer hard hard time staying up or getting on the field at all this season. Mm-hmm. Byron Bucks, Buxton's had hip injury. I mean, there are all sorts of things. You can't tie any individual injury into necessarily saying, oh, well, this is because of the shortened 2020 season. But it was just something that came to my mind. Uh, just got me thinking about that with the Ozuna injury, just in terms of the amount of injuries we've had. And then, yeah, like you said, this really just horrible news from over the weekend that he had been arrested and charged with aggravated assault, strangulation, misdemeanor battery, Mm -hmm. just a really horrible situation. Um, You know, there's, there's not a ton that you can definitively say outside of just how horrible and, you know, just, just horrible the situation is. I, you know, it's, it's hard to even, you know, obviously the, there are bigger priorities than just, you know, when might he play or not play, you know, this is a bigger, much more complex or not, much more serious personal situation um, sure. outside of the field. But as far as, you know, it, it's hard to say exactly how that's going to play out, of course. Um, but I, I, from a baseball, strictly baseball perspective, which is secondary, but from a strictly baseball perspective, I don't think, he's likely to be back on the field this season if at all ever again I don't know you know it's hard to say but it's it's just a really horrible situation there's not a ton more to say than that no and it's a shame to see because Marcelo's in the um ever since he really joined the Braves he's been one of the best hitters uh in baseball hitting for a lot of power and uh Mm -hmm. definitely I think uh had one of his best if not his best season last season with the Braves uh, obviously in the shortened 60 game stint that they played um, but obviously seeing him uh, being out with the injury and with his his legal uh, issues is uh, a mm-hmm. bummer especially for Atlanta Braves fans but yeah 
a lot of injuries across the league. Both of our teams have been hit hard, um, especially Mm -hmm. in the outfield. Um, Yeah. But uh, hopefully, you know, that that trend kind of slows down as we get deeper into the season and guys Mm -hmm. can kind of find their strides again and find their, you know, their, their routine and their, their, uh, their stride, as I said, Mm -hmm. in the, uh, for 162. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, we started this podcast at a good time because our two favorite teams, the White Sox and the Cardinals, uh, played each other three games, uh, last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, uh, it was a, it was a fun, it was, uh, it was a fun series. It was an interesting series, I think. Um, some good storylines, some unexpected uh, twists and turns. Um, but I think the uh, the highlight, or maybe not the highlight, but the the uh, the headline is definitely that the the fundamentals um, definitely put the Cardinals behind the eight ball early and often. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a, you know, it was, I was really interested, interested to see from the Cardinals perspective, how they fare against a a very good, likely AL central winning um, White Sox team. And, you know, the Cardinals, a team that has been known for its fundamentals largely in for years now, uh, the fundamentals really let them down or, or they let themselves down by not not practicing the fundamentals uh, in that series. Uh, Cardinals dropping two of three, the White Sox winning two of three in that series. Um, You know, we had just a number of just uncharacteristic errors from the Cardinals perspective from Nolan Arenado to uh, the very, you know, the like six time gold glover, or I don't know if it's six, but he's got a, you know, a whole shelf full of gold glove awards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Platinum glove, I believe as well in there. Right. Right. Uh, You have, gold glovers like that making mistakes and Tommy Edmond involved and just players who you don't expect to see make defensive miscues. And it just sort of snowballed in a couple of those games yeah, for the Cardinals, seven, including in that Giolito Flaherty start. Yeah. Yeah. Seven errors for the Cardinals over the three game series, including Ooh. three on uh, that Tuesday night game, which featured Luke Giolito and Jack Flaherty, former uh, high school teammates at Harvard Westlake in California. And I think, uh, you know, in my head, I had that, that matchup going one of two ways. Uh, the first being, you know, a zero, zero pitchers duel into the eighth or ninth inning, both pitchers absolutely dealing, wiping hitters out, you know? Um, and the other one, the other way is the way it ended up going. Uh, but not exactly the way I thought it would end up going. And that was, uh, one pitcher just absolutely blowing up and, you know, giving up hit after hit and run after run. And that kind of happened to Jack Flaherty, but it definitely wasn't his fault really at all. Um, like we've been talking about the defense kind of failed him. And I think it was definitely the worst uh, showing in that game, as far as Cardinals defense goes. And it, it it's a shame that it happened during uh, the marquee mit- pitching matchup of the series. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a shame. That was a situation where it, it certainly wasn't Flaherty's best start of the season because he was giving up so much contact. Sure. But at the same time, in normal circumstances, those plays are made. This is a completely different ball game. And maybe the White Sox end up winning by a run or two. And it's a relatively low scoring game. You know, it still wasn't a dominant Flaherty start, but it certainly wasn't, a, you know, you look up at the score and you think, wow, Flaherty must have just had a horrible day. Well, no, he had a 
mediocre day that the defense turned into a horrible day. Sure. Uh, Only three earned so, runs out of the seven he gave up. So, you know, right. not an entirely awful start. Like you said, he didn't have his best stuff, but, you know, definitely was not, uh, should not shoulder uh, the brunt of the blame, I don't think. Right. Absolutely. And then we had, um, of course, in that, was it the final, I'm blanking. I think it was the final game of the series, right? The hat yeah, situation with Joe West confiscating Cardinals reliever Giovanni Gallego's hat. And then eventually Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager, got ejected. Um, yeah. The hat was confiscated because there was something on his hat. Joe West says, you need to switch hats. Apparently Gallegos didn't have any problem with switching hats. Mike Schilt was upset, he got ejected. And it became this bigger thing because after the game, Mike Schilt gave basically like a 10 minute sort of rant, if you will, about what he perceived to be a much bigger issue in baseball about how MLB is trying to police pitchers using foreign substances and basically him him criticizing a lot of MLB's enforcement of like, you know, you need to, you know, there are different levels to this. You need to go after the people who are really breaking the rules and you need to Mm -hmm. be consistent with enforcement. And if we're going to take away hats, every time there's something that somebody sees, it's going to like, are we going to check every hat? Like, how is this going to play out? So this is an interesting situation because it's not completely black and white. Like, what, what, what were your main thoughts on how that all played out? You know, are you okay with how it all played out? Do you think there's like a bigger issue at play here? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was bizarre. First of all, yeah. um, I think that MLB definitely has a problem on its hands. You know, the spin rates are, are higher than ever. Strikeouts are, outnumbering hits for the first time ever I think and uh it's just you know offense is way down it's like the lowest batting average uh as a collective as a league uh in years decades maybe ever I'm not exactly sure um Mm -hmm. but yeah I think MLB definitely their enforcement has been spotty at best uh to Mm -hmm. this point um and I think they, they have to crack down and I don't know how they do that, but you know, there's, there's pretty, um, pretty clear evidence. I would say that there, there is something going on with pitchers and, and foreign substances and know whether everyone is doing it or whether, you know, a third of the league or a certain percentage of the league is doing it. That's, that's a different story. And that's something that the MLB has to figure out, but um, it's something that they have to look into and they have to, uh, they have to fix quickly if they want to uh, kind of keep the game uh, fun for fans to watch from an offensive perspective. Right. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think there just needs to be some sort of consistent strategy or plan from the commissioner's office on how they're going to handle it and what they're doing. And maybe, you know, maybe there is a plan, but it's just not clear to anybody watching baseball right now what that plan is from the commissioner's office about how they're going to enforce this you know there are all these different degrees to it too because it's you know I like to think I mean people like to think of it even I like to think of it as either pitchers are doing things right or they're doing things wrong like either they're you know playing by the rules or they're using illegal substances and it's either completely fine or they're horribly wrong and the truth of the matter is that there have been a lot of substances used by pitchers 
uh, for years now. Some of them are sunscreen and pine tar. Other ones are these elaborate concoctions that involve, I don't even, you know, I've seen, you know, we've probably seen stories if you've been paying attention about all these different things that players are using. Some of them are really, really affecting the competitiveness of the game. Like you said, that they're giving these pitchers a huge advantage in spin rate. Uh, there've been some pitchers notably who have like seen just like massive, cause now these things are spin rates being measured. You can easily, anybody can look it up online. So, you know, you can look and see some pitchers who are clearly doing something different that is affecting their spin rate in a huge way. So is the answer from that from MLB to like, let's go after every, you know, spot of something on somebody's hat like what what is the plan are you going after the everybody who could potentially be doing this or are you going to attack the people who are really abusing the system whatever the plan is make it clear and enforce it consistently that's sort of my biggest request i think something's going to happen here i don't i don't know what the league's going to do but like you said this is in really interesting the amount of no hitters we've seen the dominance of pitchers this season and the struggles of, of batters relative to any other season in modern history something's going to have to give whether baseball makes more uh, MLB makes more changes to the baseball physically or they change enforcement of substances it's like something has to give because clearly things are getting out of hand just like you said yeah absolutely um yeah, something that's going to have to be fixed. And how MLB does that, I don't know. But we'll, uh, it's definitely something to keep a close eye on as uh, mm -hmm. as the season progresses and then as we move into the offseason and uh, the 2022 uh, season as well. So um, after that, a uh, little bit of a tangent, but it's an important issue. We needed to talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. The White Sox uh, played host to Baltimore. Uh, the Orioles came to town. Um, they swept all four games. They played a doubleheader on Saturday. And uh, definitely uh, starting pitching was fantastic. The White Sox, I believe, had the fourth best uh, starting pitching ERA uh, in baseball, which, uh, I mean, up and down the rotation, Dylan Cease and Lucas Giolito and uh, Lance Lynn, and Dallas Keuchel have been absolutely phenomenal all year. I mean, of those four, it's probably been Giolito that's been uh, the weakest, and he just struggled to start the season. But uh, now that all four of those guys have pretty much hit their stride, um, the Sox, I think, are going to be a tough team to um, outscore, especially if their offense uh, gets going. Um, and one thing that I noticed um, is Jose Abreu, has been historically a very slow starter. Um, on April 15th, he was hitting 184. He was batting 184, and he's brought that batting average all the way back up to 271, um, which is absolutely incredible, just a testament to how good of a hitter he is because he could have easily stayed, uh, you know, right around the 200 mark uh, the rest of the year. But uh, he's definitely turned it up over the last six weeks or so. Um, and he's batting 354 over his last 15 games with 15 RBIs. And that's exactly what he did last year. He, 60 RBIs in 60 games. Um, just a uh, huge offensive uh, producer for the White Sox, always has been. I, he will continue to be for at least the next handful of seasons. Um, so they took four from the Orioles and they played a doubleheader today with the Indians and they split that. So um, Sox have won five or four in a row. It was five in a row and uh, they just lost the 
second game of the doubleheader to Cleveland uh, just a few minutes ago, actually. So Sox still sitting at the top of the uh, American League Central. I believe three and a half games up now after that uh, loss to Cleveland. Yeah, it's been it, it's been impressive. I've been really impressed with that White Sox team, especially considering, you know, from the hitting perspective, you know, Andrew Vaughn has shown some promise, but he hasn't really been the guy. He hasn't broken out as this incredible force. And that's not to say that he won't. Um, but when you consider that didn't really happen, combining with not having Eloy Jimenez, having um, uh, uh, Luis uh, Robert. Robert, thank you. <laughs> Blanking yeah. there. Uh, we're losing those, having those two all-star caliber outfielders out of the lineup, Yeah. you know, for basically, you know, for Jimenez the whole season and, and Robert, you know, is basically gone for, you know, is not going to be around for the foreseeable future for them with an injury. It's been impressive what they've done. Like you said, Abreu, a big part of that, backing up that MVP season, leading baseball in RBI. And then that yeah. starting pitching, that rotation, I, I thought they would be good. I really thought the addition of Lance Lynn was, uh, was was huge for them he's been incredible Rodon like this is really legit like it wasn't just the no hitter like this is he's got a 1.98 ERA right and like, that's the one guy I didn't mention uh right <laughs> he's he's arguably been the White Sox best starter I mean obviously the no hitter like you said but yeah though the ERA under two it's it's been one of the best stories I think for for the White Sox especially coming from being uh non-pendered in the offseason you know bring him back on a one-year deal, see what he can give you. And he's, he's had a complete um, renaissance, I think. And uh, just turned himself into one of the best pitchers, not just on the White Sox, but in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. It's an incredible story. Like considering that, you know, he, he could have like, they signed him to a one-year deal. It looked like his time with the team could just be, be up. And then they say, Oh, we'll bring you back for one year see yeah. what happens without any sort of even guarantee of a rotation spot. I, I don't, if I remember right. And then he ends up doing this. It, it's been incredible. And the fact that they could be so good as a rotation, despite the fact that, I mean, if you would tell, if you would have told me right now that, you know, Keiko and, and Giolito have both been good. Giolito has been turning it on, but he wasn't off to the best start. Like mm-hmm. if you tell me the White Sox, you know, Keiko's ERA still sits at 4.53 and that Giolito's is kind of in the high threes that you would tell me, okay, those two guys, they've been fine, but not like stellar all season, right. that they would be that great as a rotation. I would have been mm-hmm. very surprised, but then you say, okay, well, Rodon, Lynn, Cease, you know, yeah. they've made, I mean, they've been just incredible. And then you've got, you know, Giolito and Keiko getting it going. So mm-hmm. uh, given how bad the twins have somehow managed to be this season, yeah. uh, I still, and I think Cleveland's been more or less what we expected, like their pitching's very good as it always is but i don't think it's enough to overcome how bad that offense is like though even despite all these injuries like the white Sox just have like a basically five game lead in the central and you said four and a half yeah four and a half game lead in the central and you know they need to perform like they can't uh you know lollygag but their run differential is plus 82 every other team in the al central has a negative run differential it's pretty crazy (laughs) It is. And then you add to that, that, that just lockdown bullpen, you got Michael Kopech making some spot starts coming out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he just uh, went to the injured list with a hamstring strain. So hopefully he won't be down for too long, but you know, Liam Hendricks has been phenomenal in the month of May after he had a slow start as well. Uh, Garrett Crochet has been really solid. Mm-hmm. Evan Marshall um, just 
you know, name a guy out of that bullpen and he's, he's absolutely capable of uh, getting locked down, shut down innings for the White Sox. Absolutely. So how about, uh, so, uh, how did the Cardinals fare after uh, dropping two or three to, uh, to the Sox? They fared pretty well. They went uh, to, to Arizona to take on the Diamondbacks in a four-game series, and it was what they needed. Uh, it was a good opportunity for them against a not very good team at all in the Diamondbacks <laughs> for them to kind of, you know, not that they had completely gotten off track, but to sort of right the ship a little bit. It wasn't a, a horrible situation that they were in, but they were able to to take advantage of the situation that they did get to go play the Diamondbacks after that. They won the first three games. Uh, offenses looked pretty good. Tyler O'Neill coming off the injured list for the Cardinals, the left fielder for them has been really impressive. He homered in three straight games upon his return from the injured list. And I saw a stat prior to that third home run. So the stats probably even gotten better prior to him hitting that third home run in a row in this third day in a row after coming off the IL, he was, second in baseball in fewest at-bats per home run. So his home run rate in terms of how many homers he was hitting per at-bat uh, was trailing only Fernando Tatis Jr. So I'm thinking this guy's pretty, looks like he might finally be having that breakout. He's not a rookie. You know, he's been around a couple mm-hmm. of years now. I think he's 25 and he's really putting it together for them. I think, you know, it would really be good to see from the perspective of it's become a storyline now, how many Cardinals outfielders are not performing with the team they're letting go of them and then they're performing elsewhere Adolis right. Garcia this year with the Rangers but of course Randy Rosarena was the, the big one guys right. who they gave up on who then find other teams and find success so it'd be nice to see a guy who they stuck with in O'Neill who actually does pan out and who doesn't <laughs> continue to struggle and then they move on and then he finds success elsewhere so mm-hmm. um Hopefully that it continues for him. It's not going to be this great, but he can continue to be a producer for them. You know, meanwhile, you have Wainwright and Yachty somehow continuing to get it done at the rate that they are. Um, Entering Sunday, entering yesterday, Molina leading all NL catchers in RBI. Like he's like, I don't know how this continues to happen for both these players that are continuing to produce at this level. It's kind of comical at this point, but they've really continued to be key contributors for this Cardinals team. Uh, you know, they won the first three against the Diamondbacks. They dropped the finale, which wasn't a big deal, except for the fact that I saw some things that were concerning the defensive miscues and the bullpen issues, their bullpen in terms of, uh, you know, their, their relievers, uh, stranding, uh, stranding runners on base has been horrible. Like they continue to allow so many inherited runners to score and they only have like three relievers they can depend on, which is, or maybe even like two one and a half relievers they can kind of depend on, which is a big contrast to the White Sox. So that's something I hope they address in the next couple months. It is something they can address heading into the trade deadline. Adding a middle reliever is not hard to do. Like there'll be somebody they can get, but it's something I have my eye on right now. They have a, uh, they have a, they're tied with the Cubs now at 30 and 23. Um, so the Cubs have been on an impressive run here of late. I still think, you know, I, I'm still pretty comfortable with where the Cardinals are, but they're not going to be in a position like the White Sox where they can potentially be in a position to sort of coast for a while. And I don't mean coast as in take it easy, but have a comfortable lead for weeks at a time and have a rough patch and not fall to third. Like, you know, the, they're in a little bit more of a comfortable position that the White Sox are because of how that division's played out. I don't think the Cardinals are going to ever be in a position this season where they build a really comfortable lead. 
over, you know, all three of the Cubs, Milwaukee and Cincinnati, but, you know, 30 and 23, that's, that's all right. You know, we'll just have to see how it plays out moving forward. Reasons to be optimistic. Arenado has been great, uh, but reasons to be concerned defense bullpen are the big ones for me. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's definitely going to be a fun uh, race in the NL central. You know, you got three teams within a game and a half of each other. So I think uh, that'll definitely be one of the most fun races to watch as we head toward the midpoint of the season. And did you, speaking of Nolan Arenado, did you see that home run he hit on that pitch? It was, I don't know, a foot and a half inside. Yeah. I don't know how he got to that, but but. (laughs) the bat speed on that to get around on that and send it as far as he did. Like I I don't, it's, it's comical. Like that guy, people were worried about him, what he'd be like away from Coors field in Denver. And he's not going to be the same hitter, like as quite as good, but any concern that he would drop off to being like a mediocre hitter, like no need to worry about that. I think he's still got the skills. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think he's going to be, he's going to be good in St. Louis for, for quite a while. So now I think we'll jump to our, uh, our division uh, spotlight. Um, We're going to start with the American league East, but as we go on uh, through the next six weeks, we're going to highlight Uh, each of the six divisions in Major League Baseball and kind of talk about what we think is going to kind of play out over the next uh, three or four months of the baseball season and see uh, who comes out on top. So we'll recap this once we hit kind of the all-star break time and then again as we uh, head toward the end of the season for the playoff push. But we'll start with the American League East. And I think the story now is um, the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, how can it not be? They've won, uh, I think it's 15 of the last 16 now, and uh, they were 22 and six in the month of May. So they have um, skyrocketed to the top uh, of, the, of the American League East. And uh, I can't really say I'm surprised anymore because every single season, they just seem to do that no matter who they put on the field, they somehow end up either in second or in first place in that division. And it's incredible. It it really is. Like I, I just, I'm somehow, I shouldn't be surprised, but I continue to let myself be, put myself in a position to be surprised because I mean, look, we saw them trade away Blake Snell in the off season. We saw them essentially after being legitimately great last year and, you know, getting to the world series, the way that they did um, we saw them, objectively their roster got worse this past off season like everybody's announced like they they let charlie morton walk and they traded away blake snell and like they added michael waka and some other like just dudes that are not that kind of like i don't like objectively look at their roster and say you know they made to the world series and you know i was criticizing them and i stand by the criticism because even though the results haven't been like i expected you know, that they got so close to winning the World Series and then decided instead of, you know, let's make another, add a big player or two and try to really invest to getting that next next extra step, uh, they said, well, well, what they've done before, we're going to stick with the strategy of parting ways with guys like who are going to cost us too much money and just right. piecing it together with these random dudes. And, you know, they got Joey Wendell out there hitting 302 with a 900 OPS and, <laughs> Austin Meadows, 12 home runs. Rosarina hasn't been great, but he's been good enough. And they somehow continue to piece it together. Um, 
it's really incredible to watch. I, I still sort of, I just, I almost don't know how to feel about them in the sense of like, I can't criticize, I can't keep continuing to, you know, watch the same thing happen of them finding this success despite these things and, and sort of continue to criticize. At the same time, I still feel like they don't have the talent necessarily to compete with these great teams come October, but I guess for the time being, let's just appreciate what they're doing. Tyler Glass now has been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. Um, they're letting him work deep into games. Basically nobody else they let work deep into games, but <laughs> he seems to get that treatment. Rich Hill at age 41 is out there with his 3.32 ERA. I, I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know what kind of magic potion that they have, but it's working and they're taking advantage of it. And here they are on top in the AL East again. The Red Sox are right there and they're a good story. Mm-hmm. Yankees are just doing their whole little roller coaster thing where we'll, we'll see how healthy they are come October. But in the meantime, they're causing everybody this stress because 18 guys are injured and lineup underperforms and then the rotation's good and then bad. I don't know what's happening there. But anyway, back to the Rays. Fun story. I don't know if they can keep it up, but it's just fun to enjoy the ride. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm convinced there's there's some kind of magic associated with Chop Canafield. I don't know what it is, but if it keeps working for them, by all means, let them do it. Let them keep surprising people. It's it's fun every year, regardless of who's out on the field. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Tampa Bay is obviously the favorite. They're red hot right now. Um, Toronto is a team that I think can make some noise. And I legitimately think this could be a four team, uh, uh, race all the way into September. Um, obviously they, they've had some injury issues, especially with George Springer, uh, barely seeing the field so far this year, but they've had some, uh, some good moments and, you know, they've got some, uh, strong performances, obviously out of, uh, Vladdy Jr. And Marcus Simeon so far, Simeon, especially in the month of May, but, uh, yeah, all four of those teams are definitely capable of uh, making a run into September and into the playoffs. So it'll be a uh, an entertaining show out there uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Baltimore's played like Baltimore, just to give them their little shout out. They played exactly yep. like we all thought they would, 17.5 games back of the division oh, yeah. lead. Uh, in Toronto, you mentioned, I, I saw this really interesting sort of uh, little fact. Um, the Blue Jays went 15 and 13 in May which is, you know, a couple games above 500. It's not fantastic, but it's, it's good, solid. And their deficit in the division went up from three and a half games to six. So <laughs> that's just rough. I mean, they, I mean, you know, they've been yeah. banked up, they've been without Springer and they still go 15 and 13 in May. And that's certainly respectable. And yet their, you know, deficit in the division just increase increases two and a half games. So, right. yeah, it tells you how competitive that division is going to be. I think the Blue Jays will be better in that lineup with Vlad's breakout um, is, is a real threat, especially when I get Springer back. Who knows what that rotation, they did not invest in that rotation enough outside of Ryu. So who knows how that's going to play out, but right. I'm right there with yeah. you. We could have a 14 race and Hey, you know, maybe one of these years, the Yankees struggles will actually come back to bite them and they won't make the playoffs. I, I don't know. Like we saw last year, they go on this little roller coaster ride of the panic for a while but then it was like okay they made the playoffs and their guys were healthy then so who cares what how how they got there right you know Mm -hmm. maybe one of these years especially because we don't have the expanded playoffs this year maybe the amount of injuries and the you know 
struggle, you know, some of how much they have, how much money they have invested in a couple guys who can't stay healthy will actually come back to the bite them. I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. They can go, they can get hot. That lineup can be outstanding, but when so many guys are out of it so often and you're playing these triple A players, I don't know, maybe one of these days it'll come back to bite them. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And, uh, you know, they haven't won a world series since 2009, which, you know, 12 years, I think is longer than we all thought we'd ever, we'd ever say between, uh, Yankees world series, but yeah, definitely a fun race to keep, uh, keep an eye on. And like you said in our intro, Chris, we are just about at the one third mark of the season. And I think it's time to hand out our, our one third mark awards. Um, so we're going to go through uh, the most valuable player in the Cy Young Award winner, uh, rookie of the year, manager of the year. Um, and I think we'll do, uh, we'll do each of our MVPs and then each of our Cy Youngs and just do it kind of like that. Um, so for National League, most valuable player, I have uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. He has been um, absolutely incredible for the uh, for the Atlanta Braves so far this season. Um, batting 278, uh, which isn't uh, incredible. Uh, actually, a couple points below his his career mark, um, but he's hitting uh, he's hit 50. 15 home runs uh, so far this season. He's stolen six bases, um, not running as much. Uh, obviously, the Braves want to keep him as healthy as possible. Um, he's got an OPS at 982, so obviously hitting for power, slugging over 600, and just been a, uh, a joy to watch, uh, to be completely honest. Um, one of the best young stars in the game of baseball and you know, I think he's going to be uh, a a, uh, a superstar for you know 10, 15 years to come. Um, so he's my he's my pick for uh, National League MVP right now. Yeah, a, a very good pick, and and his all around performance from the you know from the batting average to the power to the steals is really something to watch. I actually saw he just homered uh, about a, an hour ago, so he's up to sixteen, <laughs> tied with Tatis Jr. for the NL lead. Um, he's been incredible. And, and right now, if I was picking and he was right there in consideration for me, I went with somebody else, but it was actually went with Acuna first and then changed it. If I was picking who I predicted at the end of the season would win the MVP, I would say Acuna, pretty much no question. Um, sure. just to, mostly just to kind of be different. I'm going with Nick Castellanos as my NL MVP at the one third mark. Uh, we already kind of touched on him, so there's not a ton to add, but uh, he entered today leading the NL in batting average, OPS, total bases. The home runs haven't been at the rate of Acuna and Tatis Jr., but, um, you know, tied for sixth in the NL in, in home runs. Uh, he's just been this incredible contributor. And, you know, you look at the batting average for him, 360 entering today. It's just insane. I, you know, I, so I, I went with him, give him some recognition for what he's done, but um, yeah, you're not going to go wrong with with uh, Acuna there as well. Chris Bryan, Max Muncie, some of the other guys I thought of. But yeah, so mm -hmm. I went with Castellanos. Uh, who did you go with? I think we had the same answer uh, for the AL MVP, right? Um, let me see. Yeah, I believe so. And that is uh, Shohei Otani. Um, he's finally, after you know all the hype surrounding him, he is finally putting together 
an absolutely incredible season and showing what he can do on both sides of the ball. Um, with the bat, 15 home runs, uh, not leading the league anymore, as you just said. Uh, Tatis and Acuna have that 16 mark, but he's got 15 homers, 40 RBIs. He's batting uh, 263 with a 924 OPS. Um, so offense has been absolutely fantastic. The average, not super high, but as we have kind of, you know, gotten into this more modern age of baseball, everything is about OPS and on base percentage. So we can kind of um, downplay the, the batting average a little bit. Um, and then pitching, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, his, his splitter is one of the best uh, in baseball right now. Um, pitching to an ERA of 272. Um, 50 strikeouts, um, walks a little bit of an issue. He's got 26 walks. So, um, keep an eye on that. But other than that, he's, he's literally hit five times more home runs than he has allowed this season. He's only allowed three, um, and only allowed 11 earned runs over 36 in the third inning. So, um, when you talk about most valuable, I think you can make the argument that Mike Trout is no longer the most valuable player on his own team. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a fair, that argument is definitely there. And I, I think it can definitely be made. I, I think you hit on most everything I was going to say with Otani. I will say, you know, after the amount of injuries, you know, that he's played through and that he's had, he had Tommy John, you know, this was sort of the year where like, is this going to work for him or not? This whole being is this two-way star. I mean, we know he's incredibly talented. We knew heading into this year that he could be a great DH, that he could be a great pitcher, but this was sort of, and I don't want to say it was the absolute last chance, but there's been a couple of years go by now with these injuries where, you know, this is kind of a last, you know, one of these last chances, like, is this finally, is he going to be able to put it all together consistently? Definitely remain healthy. Shut up here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just like that. And he's really done that. Um, you mentioned some of his, his marks, I mean, striking out over 12 batters per inning, his ERA is low. He's, you know, just outside of the top five in the league in OPS. And I think the one thing I'll just add with him when it comes to value, just like you said, is that, you know, I look at uh, wins above replacement is a big stat for, you know, value evaluating players, their war value. And it's, actually a situation where I don't think that does Otani justice to just look at war because you can look at, you know, his offensive value and you can look at his pitching value. Can you can just combine them together and say, well, this is his war value. This is how valuable he's been, but that doesn't really, I think he's such a unicorn in that that doesn't really encapsulate the value he brings to the team because those two things are coming from one roster spot. And that's something we just don't see. Like, you can say, okay, he's been this much more valuable than the average pitcher or this much more valuable than the average hitter. But those aren't those stats aren't really considering that the person's also doing the other thing. Like, and it's right. only taking up one roster spot. Like you can say, yeah. okay, well, if you had two players on the roster named Shohei Otani and one was the hitter and one was the pitcher, <laughs> that's those are their contributions. But you're getting that out of one roster spot. Yeah. And no, I'm really curious to see hey, how this all, you know can he keep this up I think it's a situation where as long as he's his overall pitching numbers look good it, there's no collapse there and that he continues to be an impact hitter whether or not his average at the end of the day is 260 sure. I, or yeah. you know whatever I don't think it's going to matter I think that he'll get the award unless he you know gets hurt knock on wood 
or is a complete drop off in one or both of those sides of the game, I think there's a good chance he ends up the season as MVP. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just incredibly valuable. I think you're you're right about you can make that argument, you know, for Mike with Mike Trout because of the value that he brings on both sides of the ball for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cy Young in the National League. Um, obviously, Jacob Degrom is the easy pick. So, you know, he's been incredible. He missed a few starts with uh, with an injury, but he's got an ERA still under one. Um, so he's always, you know, a popular and probably going to end up being the uh, the deserved winner of this award. But um, I really like what Brandon Woodruff has done this season. Yeah. He second in baseball in ARA behind DeGrom at uh, 1.27. He is leading the league in whip at 0.69. Mm-hmm which is insane. 71 innings. He's walked only 16 batters, um, allowed just 33 hits, and he struck out 83. So, I mean, he's leading the league in the RA plus at 319. Um, You know, you can't can't perform much better than that as a pitcher uh, from all aspects, you know, from, from your control to your, your, you know, your pitch is just missing bats. It's It's been really fun to watch, and I think he's one of the most probably underrated still uh, pitchers in baseball at this point. Um, but, yeah, I think it would be a really, a really fun story if he was able to um, maybe, if not win the National League Cy Young, maybe at least challenge uh, DeGrom uh, for the award come, come October, November. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about the two-headed monster that the Reds had in the outfield and in, in Winker mm-hmm. and Castellanos and the Brewers really have a two-headed monster in the rotation and Brandon Woodruff and uh, Brandon Woodruff and I blank, uh, Corbin Burns. Thank Corbin you. Burns, yeah. <laughs> I always blank on the second name when Red is, oh, so yeah, according to, we talked about, I talked about war a second ago. Sure. Uh, baseball references wins above replacement value has Brandon Woodruff entering today as the most valuable player in the majors. Wow. Any player hitters, 3.7 is his wins above replacement value entering today, which was ahead of every other player in Major League Baseball. Uh, his combination of, you know, and DeGrom, obviously he's, you know, still the best pitcher in baseball. I don't think that's really a, a debate. There's no need to, you know, get into that. But mm-hmm. he, I think the only reason why he, he's not high on that list because he missed a start or two, you know, sure. and that's, that's why that is what it is. But Woodruff has just been incredible the ERA, like the performance has been legitimate. Um, I mean, not that he's going to post a 1.27 ERA or whatever it is, but he's been legitimately great. He's pitching deep into games and it, it's been outstanding to watch. Uh, so um, I did see that uh, I saw this stat that since the start of 2018, there have been just four pitchers in the National League who've had an ERA under three and strike out 10 plus batters per nine innings. Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, and Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he really is associated with if you're Brandon Woodruff, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, three of the best pitchers in, in baseball. And then I, it's time to consider Brandon Woodruff right up there as well, if you haven't already. Uh, oh, yeah. He pitched to a 1.07 ERA in May. It's been stellar. Yeah, super fun to watch. And obviously you mentioned Corbin Burns, who – had that incredible start to the season where he struck out 
I don't know when it ended up being like close to 50 banners before he walked anybody. Uh, yeah. And then he spent some time on the injured list, obviously. But yeah, if you're, uh, if you're playing the Brewers anytime soon, you definitely want to try and avoid those two, uh, <laughs> those two guys in their rotation, but we'll move uh, to the American league. Um, and there's two guys that I have um, and I think my White Sox bias is coming into uh, into play here a little bit, but they're two guys that um, have thrown no hitters this season. And uh, your guy, where is he? He has not thrown a no hitter this season, which, you know, kind of puts you in the minority. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with Carlos Rodon. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously we've, we've talked about him a little bit going from non-tendered to one of the best pitchers uh, in baseball and, Speaking of ERAs in the 1.2s, he's got an ERA at, at 1.29. Um, by far, easily the best uh, the best ERA of his career thus far. Um, and he obviously threw the no-hitter. Um, he struck out 72 batters over 48 and two-thirds. Um, his whip is .719, so right uh, pretty close to Woodruff there. Um, and he's only walked... Uh, 12 and given up three home runs so his stuff is has been uh, stellar all season long um, that slider of his pretty much unhittable if he can throw it right and uh, you know pump, pumping in the high 90s with his fastball he's um, definitely a guy that we're gonna have to see if he can sustain the success obviously through a full uh 162 games over 30 plus starts or whatever that ends up being. But uh, yeah, I think Carlos Rodon is, is, is my pick for American league Cy Young. The other guy I consider was John means obviously another great story and another guy who threw a no hitter this season, but yeah, Carlos Rodon is my pick. Yeah. A very good pick. And I considered him, I considered John means who, uh, by the way, is been in terms of baseball reference wins above replacement. John means <laughs> leads the American League among all players at 3.3 uh, wins above replacement this season. Oh. Um, I did consider him, I considered Zach Wheeler. I considered, a, there were a number of, of great pitchers in, in the National, oh, I'm sorry, we're talking American League. I consider yeah. Zach Wheeler for the National League, but a lot of great pitchers. <laughs> it's yeah, been a great sure. year for pitchers. Uh, I went with Garrett Cole in the end, um, mm-hmm. who doesn't have a no-hitter. So like you said, I guess he's in the minority among these great <laughs> pitchers this year. I went with sure. him anyway. Um, yeah. first in the AL in ERA among qualified pitchers, uh, among pitchers who just have enough innings at this point, sure. fourth in strikeouts per nine innings. He's tied for first in baseball and quality starts. He's been just as good as, as advertised. Um, you know, I think you could go a lot of different ways with this pick, but I look and I see a, a player who has a 1.78 ERA, who's, uh, ERA estimated uh, FIP, which is a stat that estimates ERA, it's on baseball reference, sure. is actually better than that. Like it's saying that his, wow. he's pitched to 1.78 ERA and the way he's actually pitched should yield a 1.71 ERA, which is the best okay. in baseball. So it's like, it's legit. <laughs> like, I'm not saying he's going to finish with a sub two ERA, right. but no. and this isn't just like, a, oh, he's been lucky. He's really pitched like a three, 3.0 ERA pitcher mm-hmm. and he's just gotten lucky. No, he's pitched this, he's pitched this well. He's about to close in on a hundred strikeouts. So I went yeah. with Garrett Cole, but there's a lot of ways okay. you could go here. And it's one of oh, those yeah. ones where I, I don't think we can really predict at this point how it's going to end up. I mean, it's either really, it's like four five, six different pitchers who would not surprise me at all if they win the award come the end of the season. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's an incredible stat. That's just kind of mind blowing that he's actually yeah. purely pitching better than uh, is actually uh, showing up on in the stat sheet, but yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> the year of the pitcher. Uh, yeah. I think you could say for sure. Um, rookie of the year for the, I guess we'll continue our trend and stay uh, in the national league to start. Um, again, two guys that I really considered uh, pretty heavily. I ended up going uh, with jazz Chisholm from the Miami Marlins. Um, just a really consistent overall player um, batting 286, getting on base 35% of the time. Doesn't hit for a ton of power. He's got five home runs um, in OPSing 836. Um, but just a, a fun player to watch. Um, he doesn't have uh, – he's only played in about uh, 29, 30 games so far for the Marlins, but definitely a guy to keep your, keep your eye on. And uh, uh, I think he could – probably be the the one player to challenge um my other pick another guy considered and your pick for national league uh rookie of the year yeah i went with dylan carlson i went with the uh the local the not the uh player on my on my team uh my favorite team um but it was it was a tough call between those two jazz chisholm and dylan carlson have both been impressive this season i think in the end i just looked at chisholm and and said that he just, you know, he hasn't quite crossed the 30 games played threshold. It's just, I think he can keep it up as being a great hitter, but I think the games played difference might've been the factor for me, but I mean, it, it, it was in a tough call. Uh, wouldn't surprise me either way. This was actually one where they're really, like you said, you consider those two mainly same for me. There wasn't really any other pitcher, any other player, any other national league rookie that I really gave much consideration to, you know, it's still one of those things where sometimes the rookie of the year can not be called up till June or May, late May. I mean, it could be somebody who we don't even know yet who goes on this incredible run. Uh, So it's one of those ones where somebody else could easily run away with this that we don't even see. Um, Carlson's been impressive for the Cardinals. Um, Mm. Looks like he's going to be a legitimately pretty great player for years to come. Um, And he's been pretty much a regular for them. Uh, in the outfield, but I could see Ch- Chisholm. Uh, I really like his skill set. I think he's really breaking out, uh, and it seems pretty legit. Um, but this is one where, like I said, I think it could be somebody who we don't even see coming, who is not on our radar now, who eventually wins this one. Sure, absolutely. Um, and now to the American League, uh, American League Rookie of the Year. I am going with uh, a player on my favorite team. Yerman Mercedes and I think the player who took the uh, entirety of baseball by storm in the first week of the season um, starting his major league uh, well starting the season uh, eight for eight um, Mm -hmm. which was just incredible to watch I mean I didn't think the guy was ever going to make it out Um, but he has he has cooled down um, batting 311 at this point in the season hitting for some uh, considerable power seven home runs and he's uh, got an OPS at 846 um, he's just about an everyday player for the White Sox at this point DHing almost every day um, and he's just been he's he's fun to watch I mean he plays he plays the game his way as we heard after the uh, 3-0 homer uh, against the twins a couple weeks ago um, 
but yeah, he's he's um, been arguably one of the best rookies um, in the American League, and the only other guy I think can challenge him is your pick for your American League Rookie of the Year and the guy who has, I mean, just absolutely exploded over the last probably month of the season. Yeah, I, I went with the Dolis Garcia of the Rangers and, you know, and then another two-player race where I could see it going either way. My first thought was Mercedes, and I think that's a, a great pick, um, mm-hmm. a very valid pick. He's been incredible. I mean, even considering his he's Mercedes has taken a step back at the plate in recent months, he or recent weeks, he's still hitting 320 on the season, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Both these guys, Mercedes and Garcia, were both players who – I don't think a lot of player people were picking for rookie of the year heading into this season. I mean, Mercedes was not a guy who was supposed to be an impact player for the White Sox this season. I, I don't think, right. No, I mean, I'm right. Definitely not. And, and he and, would have not had a roster spot probably if it wasn't for uh, Aloy Jimenez going down uh, during spring right. training. So. Right. Yeah. He might, wouldn't have even gotten that, that opportunity. And, and Garcia was a player who hadn't hit a single home run in the majors. He's 28. So this is not a, you know, 22 year old hotshot prospect is is 28 now so neither of these guys were expected to be big you know big time picks uh for rookie of the year i went with uh, as i mentioned i went with uh, adolis garcia he's tied for the mlb lead in home runs with 16 mm-hmm. uh, i looked at the list of i pulled up the the stats for all rookies all rookie hitters and the player who's second in home runs among rookies has eight and garcia yeah. has 16 I mean, it's double. like he has double the second place rookie in terms of home runs. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty crazy. And he's hitting 286. So it's not like it's, you know, I, I kind of thought before I looked at Garcia's stats that it might be like a, a big power with a 240 batting average. Sure. And maybe that's where it ends up. I wouldn't be surprised if that's where it kind of ends up at the end of the season. But right now he's hitting almost 290. So he has six stolen bases on top of it. It's been really impressive. He's been a breakout star. Uh, along with Mercedes. So he's my pick, neither guy, something I saw coming and it's going to be interesting to see if they can both keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that rookie of the year race. Definitely two, two horse races, I would say at this point, but obviously uh, you got call-ups that happen all throughout the season and just guys that get extremely hot. And uh, we don't know if we've never, if we haven't even uh, really seen the, uh, the potential 2021 rookie of the year in either league. Mm-hmm. So uh, manager of the year. Um, this is definitely a, uh, an award that I considered a lot of, a lot of guys in, in both leagues. Um, but I ended up going in the national league with Gabe Kapler, manager of the San Francisco giants and <laughs> what a job he has done. Um, in, in a division that we thought was going to be a two-horse race between the Padres and the Dodgers, right now on May 31st, 2021, San Francisco Giants are in first place in that division by a half a game over the Padres. And I don't know. I mean, it's an odd-numbered year, so I don't know what the Giants think. They're I don't know if they're allowed the to. Division. They, are they allowed to be successful in an odd-numbered year? I, I don't know. I think they're 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 rewriting the rule book on that one. Um, yeah, but they're thirty-four and twenty, sitting at the top of the NL West, um, and with the best the best record in the National League. Actually, now that I look at it, um, so oh. yeah, getting great production out of uh, Buster Posey, 
Uh, he's having a, a kind of a rebirth, um, yeah. kind of the year of the old catcher, if you if you include Yadier Molina in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just been crazy to watch them, you know, kind of overtake the Dodgers, overtake the Padres, and uh, sit at the top. And who knows if they'll end up there. But at this point, I think Gabe Kapler deserves all the recognition in the world for getting his team uh, to arguably the top of the hardest uh, division of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is a weird division to look at because you look at three teams at the top of that NLS division and it's the Giants, Padres, and Dodgers all with really great records. I mean, you, the Dodgers are the third place team and they're still 31 and 22. And then you look at the two teams below them and they're just absolutely dreadful. I mean, it's three great teams and two just horrendous teams yes. and the Rockies <laughs> and the Diamondbacks in that division. Uh, but yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I went with... Um, I went with Gabe Kapler as well for my pick for NL manager of the year at this point. I, you know, I kind of think with these right or wrong, the way this usually works out for manager of the year is you look up at the standings, you say, okay, what team sort of overperformed expectations the most? Um, and I mean, not, not a team that's supposed to finish last that finishes 500, but a team that's supposed to be a mediocre, you know, okay team that finishes great, you know, and, yeah. and that definitely fits the giants where they are right now. Um, you know, I look at the other division, other divisions in the NL and I see, well, the NL East has some good teams, but there's only one team in the NL East above 500 because they all keep beating up on each other. Right. Uh, <laughs> and the, I don't think the Cubs, the Cardinals are, that's really clear that there's somebody who needs to be manager of the year there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think Gabe Kapler makes a lot of sense. Uh, and so he's my pick as well. I considered Chase Tingler in San Diego because they've dealt with a, a good deal of of injuries and the Dodgers have two, but yeah, I think Gabe Kapler's the the call, which is quite a, an interesting thing. We'll see if that lasts. I mean, both for the Giants being up top of that division, I don't think that's going to last. But even if they finish second or third in that division, even if they finish third, it could still be Kapler for manager of the year. That wouldn't shock me. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and then American League, we got uh, a couple a couple of guys that I considered here. Um, and I, as much as I want to give my own team another award, <laughs> I really, really hate Tony LaRussa. <laughs> and the, this will become more known as the season goes on um, and as we get further into our into this podcast, I'm sure there will be many, many more incidents where where I can, really express my hatred for uh, LaRusso, but that's neither here nor there. So he is not my pick. My pick is uh, Alex Cora um, for the Boston Red Sox. Another guy that I had uh, some issues uh, giving an award to given his, his uh, involvement with the 2017 Astros and then the, the 2018 Red Sox. But I think just from purely a, a managerial and team performance perspective, he is definitely, uh, and the Red Sox are definitely the team that have, um, like you said, overperformed expectations. They're sitting 11 games over 500, probably good enough for first place in most divisions if it wasn't for the Tampa Bay Rays winning 22 of their last 28 games. But um, they're, yeah, I mean, they've got the second best uh, run differential in uh, the American League East, and I believe the fourth best in the American League uh, overall. Um, and their offense has been really good. Their def- or their their pitching has been you know good enough to to get them to this point. 
And uh, I think Alex Cora at this point for me is, is the American League manager of the year. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. That was my pick as well. Um, you know, I'm just looking here because, yeah, you're right. That pitching has been impressive, which was not something that I expected. Their starters ERA is, oh, it's fallen off a little bit recently, but it's still, it's been much better than expected uh, this season. Uh, I went with Alex Cora as well. I, I will say, I'll put it on the record now that I'm not saying that I would support this by any means, but if the White Sox win the AL Central, I think Tony LaRusse is going to be AL Manager of the Year because of the storyline and the injuries and it's him and all these things. No. I'm not Which saying is fair. I, I could it. see that I, happening. I just don't want it to. I don't want oh, him yeah. to get the recognition and, you know, yeah. oh, it's going to oh, make yeah. my brain I'm, explode at one of these points, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I, I am right there with you. Uh, and I'm not giving it to him. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm going with Alex Cora, who, yeah, it makes me a little uncomfortable to say because <laughs> he doesn't have the most spotless record in the world. But uh, the fact of the matter is, when you look at the expectations and the roster for that team heading into the season, the way they performed, they got off to a great start in April. And I was like, uh, yeah, it looks pretty good, but I'm not so sure they can keep it up. And I kind of like three other teams in that division more than them. And maybe that statement's still true, but they've certainly proven to me that this is a legitimate thing. Uh, 32 and 21, they're seven and three in their last 10 games. Their run differential, like you said, is high. Like this looks pretty legit. Um, Xander Bogarts has been incredible and you've got, you know, JD Martinez has bounced back and you've got Devers. The middle of that lineup is really talented. And when you're pitching is actually been okay, you know, <laughs> which is for them, like that's all you, like you, nobody was expecting great pitching. Mm -hmm. given they're still without Chris Sale and, and things like that. Uh, but it's been respectable. And that offense, the middle of that lineup has been great. It looks pretty legit. Um, I mean, I'm starting to think though, we might have to give Kevin Cash some credit um, yeah. despite some, uh, <laughs> he's also not a guy who I, I have, you know, respect for. He, I, he is a guy I have respect for, not a guy like him, like, you know, super thrilled about everything he's done in the past. Uh, but but yeah, got to give some credit to what he's doing with that team too. But yeah, uh, long story short, Alex Cora, I'm right there with you. Yeah, sounds like some uh, some moral dilemmas in the, in the American Indeed. League. You got a guy with the Astros, a eighty year old, you know, barely there, has been, and Kevin Cash, which we all know about Kevin Cash. So um, yeah, definitely uh, keep an eye on. Uh, those teams at the top of their divisions or near the top of their divisions as of right now. All right. And that's all the time uh, that we have for episode one of the warning track power podcast. Um, lots of good stuff today. And uh, we'll definitely keep our eyes closely, uh, closely uh, paying attention to um, all things MLB. So we have uh, more to talk about. Next week, um, keep an eye out for anything crazy uh, that happens in the world of baseball, <laughs> major league or not. And uh, Chris, you have any any parting thoughts? Uh, no, we got it. We got another good week of baseball on here. Uh, I'm particularly interested in the Cardinals playing the Dodgers to see how that pans out. And then we've got some uh, interesting weekend series on tap this weekend. Dodgers Braves will be interesting. Nationals, Phillies, Red Sox, Yankees, we got coming up this weekend and a situation where the Yankees are a bit in free fall right now. Still good record, but they got to get it going. So 
uh, definitely some interesting series to watch as this week continues. Yeah, lots to keep our, our eyes on and uh, lots to be interested in for uh, the week to come. So thank you so much for what, uh, for for listening. This is not a video podcast, at least not yet. And uh, we will talk to you all next week.